Hello, welcome to PPV Pod. I'm your host, Steve Johnson, and today I'm at the Castle Steam Academy with Brie Gage and Dr. Tony Altaparmakian. Brie, Tony, how are you guys doing? Hi, Steve. We're doing well. Doing really well, thanks. Good. Thanks so much for letting me come and um, go into your super awesome office with Jill. She's not here with us right now, but she's next door working hard. Uh, but As thank she you so. Is. She always oh, and you and everyone here actually. Um, but thank you so much for letting me come over. Okay. All right. So let's get started. You both instructed and facilitated the PLC 101 session for PBVU. Uh, we got some other people on the team too who helped create the syllabus and kind of give guidance and direction to the session. And the session started with trust. So I just wanted to start there. Why do you think it's important to start with trust uh, for a PLC session? Uh, and then also, what were some of the things you shared regarding trust? Um, well, I think when we started planning for PLC 101, we were really looking at collaboration and how to collaborate and how to work with all the pieces of the PLC. But we did understand that trust was an important piece. And so when we started getting into the thick of planning, we realized that trust was taking a large portion of our time when we're instructing. Um, and I think we learned a lot about how to navigate a PLC. We throw teachers into these groups of people who they have not chosen, mm -hmm. and then we don't do much around truly building trust. We build um, camaraderie, and we do silly little icebreaker games, but we don't give them the tools to build trust. So we talked about how that was an important piece um, of this PLC 101. So, and I don't know, Tony, if you want to take care of this part, but what are some of the things you did uh, in the session revolving trust and how you could foster trust within a group? One of the things that we did is we tried to tie in norm building. So we have developed norms in our teams here at Castle, and one of the practices that we found was really beneficial was group vision setting. So looking forward as a group and saying, at the end of this year, what do we want this to look like? We want to have an incredible experience, right? I'm sure that we don't want to get to the end of the year and say, well, that was horrible. But if we look forward and we say, this is what a terrific year would look like, what is everyone doing? What are people working on? What are we celebrating? And in so doing, one of the things that you have to do as a person is really kind of let your guard down a little bit, become vulnerable, and that's one of the key pieces in building trust. And we referenced the, the paradox of trust, which is a cycle that basically states that if you're going to trust someone, you have to become vulnerable, but if you're going to become vulnerable with someone, you have to trust them. So at some point, you just have to break that cycle. So we talked about ways to do that. One of them was developing norms and another piece I know that we referenced was, oh, I, I can't remember. Well, <laughs> um, competency around whatever it is that you're working on in the PLC builds mm -hmm. trust and then alignment to character alignment. So mm -hmm. doing what you say and and sticking to whatever it is that you set out to do. So if you tell your team that you're going to prepare the agenda, have it done and have it turned in um, when you say you're going to do it. Uh, we talked about how 
trust isn't built through human bingo. Having fun is a really important piece of, of your team and making sure that that's somehow integrated within your PLC or co collaboration. But that isn't the only way that, or that isn't really the authentic way to build trust. That's through working together and, um, like you said, being vulnerable and continuing that alignment with what you say and what you do in your team. What um, activities did you have the participants do? And maybe uh, the first presentation, we can talk about that um, with the trust survey. Um, any information you could share with listeners about, about those items? All right. Okay. So through um, leading impact teams, um, we modified a survey, a trust survey, that everyone can take within their PLC or any group of people that they're working with. And it's just a starting point um, to give them um, a place to begin with development in their PLC. So it asks questions like, we all believe that we're working in the same direction toward a goal, or we don't stop to gossip. And so then they then rate themselves on a scale from one to five, and they add that up to get a collective score, and then there's a key that lets them know, hey, you're doing a great job, keep doing it and try to replicate this so we can then help other PLCs, or you're on the lower end, you have an excellent amount of growth that you can do, or opportunity, opportunity for growth, um, and then move toward a coach or an administrator to help you with that PLC. Um, we've received almost 100% of those trust surveys, and so we're very excited. We think we are going to be a session that gets 100% compliance with all of the implementations or reflections. Um, because it's so important to the working of, of a PLC and the success of a PLC, um, and they were just very excited to be able to reflect on that and talk about trust and talk about things that build trust within their PLC. I know that for us, as we looked at that survey, it was also a good checkpoint to stop and think about our teams and where we are. And as the year goes by really, really quickly, you find yourself in December. And have you had those critical conversations with your group about your norms? Have you reviewed your norms to check on, you know, is, is this where we want to be right now? Do we need to modify these at all? And going back to that establishment of a vision that your norms really become the guiding principles that get you there and help keep you focused on, on the end goal or that objective. So we've, I know that even in the past couple of weeks, we've had to stop in a couple of groups and say, are these working for us? Now that we find ourselves in the middle of the year and it's different from where we started, what does this look like? And that was another touch point that we had with the group that it allows for those discussions that help you build trust and help you build that, um, that teamness, right? We, Bree just mentioned that we, we sit people down and they're in groups, but once you develop the characteristics of a team, the research and the literature bears out that you will learn more from one another. And of course the basic foundation of that is trust, but that's really what we want, is we want people to be open and to learn, and part of that for us as coaches too is a humbling experience 
when you sit down with a group and you look at an agenda you know that you created at the beginning of the year and you think well so this just isn't cutting it yeah and you just have to look at your work even as a coach and say yeah it's definitely time to to shift this or right? it's, it's not working for us anymore yeah. and that's okay and i think we depend on that trust being built organically and that isn't how it works as a coach coming in from outside of coaching and never doing something like this, I did think, oh, you know, I'm just going to walk in and I'm likable. They'll trust me. And that did not happen. And so, you know, the seventh or eighth time I was sitting across the table from someone slamming my hand on the table and arguing about graphic organizers, <laughs> I realized, okay, I need to do something here. We, and so I, I dug into Elena Aguilar's book, um, Building uh, Coaching... I will come with the, what do you know? It? I will put it in the show notes okay. too. We'll it is, uh, it. I'll put it in the show notes. Coaching teams. Coach, I, okay. I can I'll see get the it. cover. I know. I know what you're talking it's about. The forest. It's the forest. Yeah. Trees. Yeah. Um, the trees. But there was a piece in there that talked about what you do before you go into a meeting. And that was, who do I want to be in this meeting? How do I want this meeting to go? And that's something I never reflected on before a meeting. Um, and that helps build trust because I walk in to every meeting now after this P PLC 101 and say, where do I want the team to go? Who do I want them to see me as? And who do I want to be in this meeting? I don't want to be the person, the crazy person across the table screaming about graphic organizers. <laughs> so that did, this has helped in that way. And when we talk to the participants about that and we say, raise your hand if you've ever asked that question, who do you want to be in this meeting? No one had done that. And that's such an easy piece to help your PLC move forward um, in a positive way, in a working way. You both mentioned norms, which are important, mm -hmm. and you highlighted the importance of them. Um, do your teams read the norms, uh, every single norm, at the beginning of every single meeting, each time? So I um, work with two grade levels, fourth and fifth grade, you work with one, two grade levels, two groups of people. And I would say my grade levels do. Yes, they do. Um, yours do as well? One group focuses on all the norms, and then another has been getting into a practice that we suggested during class, which also helps build trust. And that's something that we do in leadership group. And I think maybe the idea came from you, which is, to look at your agenda ahead of time and then look at your norms and ask the group, which of these norms do you think is going to be most important for us to focus on? I mean, they're obviously all important, but there could be some norms that are focal pieces during some meetings because of the agenda items that you have. And then having that be a conversation starter amongst folks and say, I think this norm is important for these reasons. And so, one group is highlighting a norm at a time. And I think that causes them to dig into the norms and look at why they have this as a norm or why this is a norm that's important for this meeting. Um, the grade levels that I work with, they simply read them, kind of talk about them. They have someone at the end, they, they highlight one and they say, Did, were we successful at following this norm? But we've talked more about helping people dig in and interact with the norms and making them more purposeful I don't think we're there yet, but we're trying to definitely get there. Right. Yeah. 
I think it's a hard thing to establish just going over the norms every time, just that, but also, like you said, digging into them and spending time, because time is the most valuable resource we have, for sure. That's brought up all the time yes. in, in conversations with educators. Uh, and norms is probably the first thing to just skip over after oh, yeah. the first meeting of the year. Or think. to simply just list. Like yeah. we, we've talked about, you go online, you look up the list of norms, these look good for us, and then you make them your own. Right. But if you're not interacting with them, if you're not, if they don't mean something to the team, then they're not going to serve you as, um, as you move forward. Mm -hmm. And I think as teams develop ownership in that list, because it's something that is meaningful to them based on their vision and where they see themselves after a successful year, then they want to check back in. Because they, you know, we all want to experience success, especially when you're engaged in so many different facets of work, and some of it is uncharted territory for some of us. I think it's a good segue to the next part of our conversation, which will be um, basically the rest of your first session and day two of your session. And that included basically the beginning of defining mastery. Mm -hmm. um, it might maybe it's helpful to give a little background on defining mastery, who Case and Sari is, um, and how that ties into PLC. Because I think even when we say the word PLC, there's so many different definitions, and we're probably talking past each other a lot of times, especially depending on where, which of 24 school sites in our district you're you're at. Um, so why don't we start with that? So again, maybe just a little bit of background, case and Sari, defining mastery, and then we'll get into what you taught. So um, since the beginning of my experience in education, we've been talking about the assessment cycle or a cycle of inquiry, um, and I've been trained in lots of different ways to do this defining mastery, and so that's where we are. What we're calling it now is defining mastery, and so we're working with um, Dr. Katie Sinceri and Paul Bambrick Santoya. And so a lot of this work comes out of the book, the book uh, Leveraged Leadership. Is that, leader? Is that right? Yeah. Um, and so do you want to talk about what it looks like, the cycle? Sure. What we've found to be really important and what Defining Mastery is really all about, and I think we're starting with teams, is looking at the end in mind, right? Backwards mapping. So clearly defining what a student's going to be able to do, and then after we've done that, that's how we chart our path. And it's, it's difficult work because we're, I think, used to being provided with tools that are starting from the beginning. Right? Hey, you, you look at this page, and then you teach these things, and then you turn the page, and at the end of the chapter, if you followed what every page has told you to do, then you know, all those steps. Yeah, mastery will happen. And then you, you have a test there that's probably provided in the book. <laughs> so we've been getting into a lot of deep discussions about, well, let's look at a standard. And let's unpack that into pieces. And so what the cycle would look like is starting with a standard, breaking it down into what we call a CUD chart. So no understand and do where knowing and understanding are what students are coming into the lesson with. What do they have to know going in? What do they have to understand about the content that, you know, that prerequisite knowledge? 
and then the do is what they're going to do to show mastery and that's where we develop our objectives from and I think one of the powerful things there I mean there are other pieces to this cycle right, so I'll, I'll pause that after the objective then we write the assessment and then after the assessment we make an exemplar of what the assessment should look like and then we get into the lesson and what the teaching would look like and we plan formative assessments also or unit assessments really the objectives lead into assessments that I mean some people have gone into unit assessments others into common formative assessments that happen a little bit more often do you use illuminate for those common formative assessments we do mm -hmm. yeah and there's you know that is a great way to get the assessments out I mean there's obviously a bank of questions but they also and, have a hybrid um, yeah. option where we can create our own questions or take questions that are modeled from another um, another bank and then upload that into Illuminate. So the teachers are still using the same questions, but they're using Illuminate to look at the data and they love their, we call them the data donuts, mm -hmm. and some goal setting with the kids and all that good stuff within Illuminate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the neat part that we've seen about this cycle is you can't really take it piecemeal because if one piece falls out then other pieces fall out later so if you really didn't decide when you were writing your objectives what DOK level the mm -hmm. students were going to reach then you start writing assessments and you've got people in the group that are saying well I'm not going to test that way I'm going to test this way or we're going to test this way mm -hmm. okay well why are we doing different things right if we're working toward the same end, end game then we should have a clear picture of the cognition that the students are going to engage in, like in Blooms, or the product that they're going to come up with in, in the DOK and Web's structure there. So it's, and we have seen teams that will kind of go along that route, and we just sort of maybe let that happen, and then they come to a point where they say, well, this isn't working. And we'll say, okay, well, what if we go back to this step and clarify this step? Then how would this piece be a little bit more clear for us? So that's what the whole cycle looks like. And we're definitely still, I think, in, I mean, groups are in different places, but we're working toward mastery of that process. It's improving there are no as more, practice is happening. There are no more questions of why are we doing this. That's right. gone. Yeah. There are questions now. We're finding, I think, it's, it's messy because we're finding hiccups that we would have never found before because we thought we were doing the right thing. So, I mean, for, an, for example, um, third grade last year, they taught their little hearts out around adding fractions. And then when we opened up the end game, the assessment that they were going to give after we taught this for three, four, five weeks, they realized, holy moly, we were definitely not teaching the way it's assessed, nor were we teaching at the rigor that the students needed to understand. So that's been an aha moment for a lot of our teachers, I think, is when they look at, if we're teaching one standard, all three of us, we could be teaching it at different levels for sure, and still successfully teaching it. Um, but when you look at that destination, the question that's going to be assessed, then that just opens up the whole, it opens up your whole PLC for a discussion around, all right, here's our end game, 
we have to teach at this level. There's no, there's no teaching one half plus one fourth. We have to teach past that. So I think that's where we're finding it's messy. It's not as nice as just following page by page in the teacher's edition, but our teachers are understanding the curriculum more. They are um, looking to supplement standards and they're just becoming much more professional in their practice when it comes to planning assessment and planning instruction. So when you were developing the PLC 101 session, now that we have a really good overview of, of the whole kind of process, what beginning part of that did you include in PLC 101? Okay, so we did a lot on trust, more than we anticipated, but I think it was important. And then our second session, our second night, um, revolved around looking at the standard and understanding why we need to look at assessment and backward map and then um, we went into deconstructing a standard which is uh, we gave them two ways to do it um, DII direct interactive instruction and because everyone's familiar with that in our district so we did give them that template to use but most of our focus was on the KUD chart, the know, understand, and do chart. And if you look around our office here in the other room, um, there are KUD charts scattered. It's our wallpaper here at There's Castle. one right behind you. There is one right behind me. Yes. <laughs> so do you want to talk about the KUD? Because we can, we have popped these up and just said, okay, teachers, go. What do they need to know for the standard? What do they need to understand for the standard? And what do they need to do for the standard? And just like our students do without backward mapping that as coaches or whoever is leading the, the, the meeting, we got charts that looked all different at all different levels. So do you want to talk about the know what that looks like, the understand and what the do? Because you did talk about that during our session. Yeah, the, so one of the things that we found is that the know would be like the lower level of Bloom's or DOK1, what are students going to have to be able to recall? And then an understand would be what are they going to have to be able to do coming in, mm -hmm. a skill. And then the do column would be what they're going to develop or do after the lesson. We found that one of the places where some of the teams got hung up in this process is as they were looking at know and understand, which column does it go in? And we would kind of pause and have these like uh, philosophical arguments. I can right? see how you get sidetracked or off the rails a little bit. In this office? Yeah. No yeah. way. With those types of questions, though, <laughs> yes, yes. that could definitely well, and that's how be it's a 15-minute conversation at least. Exactly. Yeah. And so, it, like you said, time is so precious, but... You don't want to stop those conversations, and they're happening all the time. Right. And we did just at some point have to say, well, let's just put it under no slash understand. The column that it ends up in is not as important as us sort of moving forward. And, yeah, I think that the other place where we, well, and we have this discussion today, and maybe this isn't relevant to this question, but sometimes you look at a standard and you think, what, what's happening here, right? Is, for example, in this fifth or sixth grade standard, we're asking kids to take a six-digit number and divide by a two- or three-digit number. 
and sometimes teachers look at that and they just go, ugh. Well, it's wonderful that's, to that's big stuff. It's wonderful, yeah. and this is, again is not relevant to the question, but to watch <laughs> Dr. Ultramaking come from the high school uh -huh. level, come down to sixth grade. Right. He's like, "What are we doing? <laughs> Why are we?" So go on. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's just like another one of those philosophical arguments that we have sometimes right. that really is sort of neither here nor there. <laughs> Ultimately, the student's going to be assessed on this standard. Here's what it's going to look like, and we'll. We can argue until we're blue in the face about whether it's relevant or not, but you know, it's kind of a strange thing that you've got this movement happening. So I've talked to folks that have written the Common Core, and it's almost like the way that they talk about it is different than the way that the standards ended up. So sitting down with one of them and talking about box and whisker plots. And he'd say, we're sitting here practicing with 10 data points, and you'd never do that in real-world mathematics with 10 data points. You'd generate two or 300, and then you'd use a box and whisker plot to visualize your data. But in mathematics, maybe we're staying at 10 data points forever. So getting into those discussions, though, is, even though it's somewhat tangential to our conversation now, it is good to have as a team and then wrap your head around what is it that we're teaching kids and let's talk about relevance especially in a steam academy setting but that's kind of another podcast <laughs> that is another podcast which we need to do yeah note that at some point that's write that down one, yeah. Yeah, done but with with the do column i think they find that a lot of their objectives come from that do column so um not at Castle necessary, but necessarily, but with my work with pre-service teachers, I would see the standard popped up as the objective, and the teachers would try to teach the entire standard in 45 minutes. And so when we did our session with um, PBVU, we talked about making this chunkable, making it teachable, and we do that through the KUD chart. Mm -hmm. So our next move was then to get into some measurable objectives, mm -hmm. um, but we ran out of time. So right. that will be in our PBVU um, PLC 201. Yes. So what are you kind of thinking right now, 201? How would that, um, how's that looking so far as far as conceptualizing it? Okay, well we are looking, um, we're looking at teaching teachers how to write real measurable objectives that they can see, they can observe for mastery. Um, I think that's a difficult thing for teachers. Um, we talk about it, but understanding what it really means and what it looks like when students do it or when I teach it, that's something different. So we're going to dive into that. Again, it seems um, elementary. <laughs> it seems like it's simple and like we should all just do it. But I think it's more complex than we, especially when we get into these very complex standards. Um, but probably looking at a measurable objective. Um, looking at miscues and looking at student work. So work in hand is important and that's what we've learned through all the training and reading about um, mastery is that you can't, we can look at data on a spreadsheet but we don't understand what's going on with students unless we're looking at their thinking. And so that's been a whole shift at Castle is showing your work. Um, we didn't always do that and now everything they do specifically in math because that's an easy one, but they show their work on paper so the teachers can take it and analyze what's going on. 
um, recently. And so for 201, I think that we'll look into that miscue analysis or into student thinking and how can we leverage some quick practices that will take kids who are almost at mastery to mastery. And then um, looking at question analysis. Recently we looked at a CFA for a grade level that had really good scores and um, it was a, an intermediate grade level. But when I looked at how they did on each question, question number three was missed the most, and that was 24 divided by eight. Hmm. That was it. So we looked at it, and we looked at the problem, and we haven't done this yet, but we need to. <laughs> on a Chromebook, we think that maybe that division sign looked like an addition sign. Hmm. So I mean, things like that, that we aren't digging into because we just haven't been trained to look at questions um, so that's something we're looking at planning is question analysis and then planning the reteach and continuing with the cycle. Um, we didn't talk at all about that in our PBBU PLC 101, but um, planning the reteach might get into 301, but mm -hmm. definitely measurable objective, miscue and student work, and then um, question analysis of the assessment. And where to backward map from, because many teachers don't know, depending on your grade level, third through sixth we have a CASP or um, the SBAC, and then where, do the, where are the little guys backward mapping from? What's their end game? And so I don't think all of the teachers know where to find that, so hmm. hopefully that will help. The three of us were part of a meeting yesterday, um, and the, the question was brought up planning time for planning and someone had mentioned that PLC time was not a time for planning that it was more a time just for looking at data a couple other people said that too just look at data and maybe come up with next steps but no planning do you think planning does come into play a little bit uh, within what we're calling defining mastery in this cycle do you have to plan you have to plan eventually Planning does come into play, but does that come into play? And let's just assume we're not at Castle, we're at a, a school that has just the one hour of PLC time on a Wednesday. Okay. So um, should there be time during that one hour the planning is, is, is in there, or should they come up with another time throughout the week where the, where the data cycle and, and analysis happens during maybe Wednesday and the planning is another time? I don't know. What thoughts do you have on that? I think that we need to come up with a common understanding of what planning means. Because when I hear people speak about planning and how they're not supposed to do it during PLC or it's not the time to do it during PLC, I think that we are coming kind of full circle with what planning means. And all of this defining mastery is planning. So um, personally my thoughts are no way will anyone have time <laughs> to plan when they're defining mastery in the hour. That takes mm -hmm. just the part where you're looking at the data um, and you're analyzing and you're writing the exemplar, all that good stuff, takes about an hour. Right. So, I mean, planning will ha have to be done probably at another time, but if you can do all of that in one sitting, I think that that's a great place for it because you're, you're thinking about it, you're deep into the standard, you're deep into what the assessment is, you know exactly where you're going, and you have everyone together. But I don't know that there's time for that all the time. Yeah, I think in a perfect world, if we had a lot of time, then planning just becomes part and parcel with 
all of the work. And we actually have a solution for that as well. <laughs> yes, we're going to do four tents, right? And take uh, Friday off yes. as just planning there you go. and analysis, assessment writing. But I think you'd get a lot of buy-in for four <laughs> from days. teachers. Yeah, yeah. Not parents. Not donuts. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, donuts. Go on, I'm sorry. No, the, the real donuts, not the illuminate oh, donuts. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the kind yeah. with sugar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you were talking oh, about yeah, planning. I think that as we talk about that data cycle of looking at what's happening and looking at student work and identifying misconceptions, then the next obvious step is let's figure out then what our next steps are, and that's planning for how we teach what we do and I think that planning and the planning that you were referencing Bree is if you look at data and then there's that aspect of vulnerability that comes in with team members that share their data with one another and share their classroom practices and identify well I didn't do that and my scores aren't quite as high as yours so maybe you team member number three you know, could share what you did and then I could fold that into my plans. So in terms of maybe filling out a lesson plan that might happen at another time but one of the things that we like to do is think about as long as we have all the brain power in the room mm -hmm. what, it, what are the high leverage practices with those people in the room? So if the work that you're doing toward planning involves true collaboration and bringing everybody's brain power to the table to solve a messy problem then that's great if it's people coming together to split work and fill boxes then that's that's not a good use of of shared shared time mm -hmm. and i and i caution or i've seen when we go through these cycles and we come up with some very good, juicy way, way to go. We, we, we're, we've got a vision for how we're going to teach this. Then we break and we come back to plan. It isn't always aligned as well as I think it would have been had we done it in the moment. Mm -hmm. so. so two more questions and then maybe anything else you all want to share. Oh, I do. Dance okay. party. Good. What? What? So... <laughs> Fortnite dances, yeah. for sure. And we'll have a podcast on that as well. Okay. I know. But, okay, it takes us... Okay, so let's say you... Someone found this podcast. They've listened this far. Nice. Poor souls. They are... They're, they care they're about in. this. They're yeah. in. Yeah, so right. if someone's listening right now at this part, they're in. What do you think is their uh, the, the first two steps at their school site to improve um, collaboration within their PLC. What were the two things you said, you have to do this and this, and you could throw a third one there too, but. Pickles. Mm. I like that trust survey. I do, I think it gets people talking about things that they're not talking about mm -hmm. and that they've never even thought about talking about. So it opens up discussion. They can set some goals after that trust survey. I'll link that in the show I, notes. I like that, yeah. You know, I think that one of the things that we discussed about building trust is it's not too late to do it. Mm -hmm. If you feel like, well, it's December and our group's pretty well screwed up by now, so <laughs> we, we just won't bother. Mm -hmm. You can still launch 
that discussion about norms and building trust in that way by having a vision discussion and just framing it by way of saying, well, we've worked together for this long and we've had some wins. So if we were to continue that path of wins, what would that look like at, at the end of next term? So if step one would be building trust, then I think step two, and this is just me, or another step would be really digging into that deconstruction of standard mm -hmm. into real measurable objectives. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that 15 years ago, I would have heard that and then turned the podcast off. <laughs> I said, well, this is stupid. <laughs> I, I really didn't buy into it, but my students suffered at the time because of it. So I hope they're not listening. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry if that's you. We work for the district now. Yeah. Teachers. Uh, <laughs> poor thing. And I think that it took me a while to realize that figuring out what I want a student to do and clarifying my teaching in that way. Clarifying your teaching. Yeah. What what we've seen from the teachers taking these KUD charts and creating measurable objectives and then planning from that is they have said that they're more clear about what they're teaching and how they're teaching it than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of, not all over the place, but floating out there with a concept and now they are just, they're very targeted and focused. So I think, yeah, I agree with you on that. Measurable objectives, digging into the standards, because we find that sometimes our curriculum doesn't serve us mm -hmm. the way that we thought it might mm -hmm. for a certain concept that's being taught. So yeah. we haven't even talked about it. Thought, we'll put that in the 201 notes. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we've, you've mentioned some books. You mentioned Leading Impact Teams. Yep. You mentioned Paul Bambrick, Santoyo, and Leverage Leadership. And there's also uh, the Get Better Faster, which mm -hmm. uh, kind of, which plays into this. And then uh, Driven by Data. Are there any other books? And I don't, I mean, they could be books on trust, they could be educational books, or they could just be something you're like, you know what, I wish I could share this with everyone right now. Are there any other books right now that you've either given to someone or read recently that you'd like to share with who, whoever's listening? Teach Like a Champion 2.0. I love that book. Mm -hmm. it, it pairs nicely with Get Better Faster, and Get Better Faster is a coaching book, so it takes. Um, actionable steps for teachers and just whittles them down to things they can do right now. And so Teach Like a Champion 2.0 is almost a companion to that book. So it provides a coach or a leader, if that's a PLC leader, with um, strategies that are easy to implement within a few hours and it, it they're high leverage so the teachers get a lot out of those. So I like that book right now by Doug Lamoe. Mm -hmm. I have that in my office. It's, have you have you dug I, into it? I'm not even. Okay. Yeah, but I'm go I want to. Yeah. Because I hear nothing but good things about it. It's a good it. one. Yeah. And I'll go kind of the math geek route. A book, and this is a really I think a a book that should be on everybody's bookshelf that. If, if they're a teacher in elementary, it's Children's Mathematics, Cognitively Guided Instruction, and getting into the, uh, really some of the nuances of teaching mathematics 
Another one, a Number Talks is big, so mm -hmm. Humphreys and Parker, their book on Number Talks, they just released a second, a follow-up, so that's a good one. And even a free book, if you don't want to go buy one, right, read the, the state framework. Oh, yeah. Love that <laughs> right? one. Yeah. Okay, I told you I was going math geek, right? Did I not tell you? But I think our audience at this point who's listening math -geeky. is probably going to want to listen. Some kind of geeky. Yeah. Hi, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we go, though, can, may I mention two things? Yeah, you can mention We talked about first steps and communication and all that good stuff. Um, an activity that we did and I've been doing since um, I worked with co-teaching and training with co-teaching because two people are working together that haven't worked together. Mm -hmm. um, it's an activity called the Slippery Egg Conversation Activity. And mm -hmm. I think that we could use this as a district, as school-wide, grade-level-wide, and it's so valuable because we never communicate with one another. We never learn how to communicate. Mm -hmm. So I never sit down with you if I'm your colleague and say, hey, Steve, if mm -hmm. I upset you, how will you respond and what do you want me to do? Right. We never do that. And so this activity, and all it is is it's a... You make up scenarios, put them in an envelope, and you just role play. And so we did do this within our, um, in our PLC 101. For instance, one of your members is coming 30 minutes late every time to PLC with Starbucks in her, his or her hand. Have that conversation. And so it allows teams, and that's just, that's kind of a funny one, but there are some more realistic situations and scenarios that guide people into having conversations before it's time. Mm -hmm. So they've already, there's a little bit of levity in it, um, and they've already had a conversation about vulnerability and Dr. A getting upset because my scores were better than his. How are we going to have this conversation? Oh, it's really easy because we've already pretended to have it. We've already had this conversation previous to the situation coming up. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend some sort of activity like that almost every time we meet. Like, mm -hmm. let's pretend to have a conversation about... Right. Whatever it is. Missing yard duty or... And then, um, just a quick one, is appreciating each other. And that doesn't mean buying things. Or, I mean, it could be, but leaving post-it notes, looking people in the eyes, saying hello, asking how they're doing, and just taking five minutes to really listen because that builds trust and that builds camaraderie. And so without that, we're not, we're not going to work as well as we could. So those two things, having those simulated conversations and then just appreciation for one another that reminds me do you have you ever taken any personality tests uh, we just uh, the pbv team read the book mm -hmm. the advantage and within that book uh patrick lincioni i think his name mm -hmm. is he talks it talks about the myers-briggs tests and other ones like that do you think that'd be helpful for teams to go through because you can go to 16personalities.com I think that's what it is and take one of those tests do you think that'd be helpful for teams to go through something like that I think that those Meyer, the Myers-Briggs personality test might be a little complicated just for our purposes but I do like the compass personality assessment have you do you know anything I, about I'm not a, I'm so not you familiar. just you um, place yourself on a compass through a quiz it's a quick quiz and you're north south east or west and with that um, you kind of understand what people are, what, what the personality type is, and why they act the way they do. Mm. So if someone were arguing about a graphic organizer across the table, mm -hmm. and I knew that person was a North personality, I might give them a little bit of grace mm. in just knowing, all right, she's doing this because she wants to move forward and whatever. And so when we did that, 
that was nice because it opened up conversation about, oh, Tony's just being a West again. Mm -hmm. And so we'd kind of laugh about that. So, yes, I do think that understanding people through being able to label a personality type and work with that, I think that would be helpful. I also took a couple online, one that said that I was 100% Mickey Mouse, mm. and another that said oh, I was... Uh, Maleficent. Uh, what? Stop it. <laughs> another Disney no, I was one. Batman, okay? Ooh. Stop, Maleficent. <laughs> Bring in the villain. <laughs> a Mickey Mouse. You know what I liked? Uh, I like on Pottermore, you can find out which house yes. you're in. Yeah. And Some I, of my grade levels have made me do it. I'm a Ravenclaw, apparently. Wow. I think I am too. Yeah. I'm I a, thought I'd be a Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff? It's not the, that's a good guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Super be, nice. Yeah. yeah. Mouth, Hufflepuffs. Hufflepuff. I think I'm a Ravenclaw. Well, at least we're not Slytherins talk about, at least. you know, villains. You know, it may be. Silver lining. We'll see. Silver lining. <laughs> yeah. But you do find that helpful. Uh, I think the the compass activity was great, also because we discussed if we're working in a group with the other three mm -hmm. direction personalities, then what that was part of the activity, right? Mm -hmm. What kind of grace do we give them? How do we do that? Yep. Knowing that they're going to do the same for us, but also what strengths do they bring to the table so that we can appreciate yes. that if... For example, us West, we're all in one group. We would probably stay at 30,000 feet forever and then never get down to... The details. Like in... What was Jill? North? She's a West. Okay. like Really? Yeah. I'm an East, huh? Yes. I don't You're remember visionary. anymore. I yes. just know that all three of us are different. I'm a North. That's why I'm guiding this conversation to get... Right. And that, that's a good thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's a great way to... to that, something we'll to send, have in your mind. We'll send that to you and yeah, you can link it. Yeah, send me that link. I'll do it and I will put it in the show notes as well. I think you're probably a Northwest. Northwest. Everybody hear that? Yeah. I'm predicting that Steve is a Northwest. I'm going to let you know. Come okay. on, let you know. kid. What is this? Uh -huh. Kind of psychic. Well, hey, I appreciate both of you for taking the time right now. Appreciate and, you. Yeah, and um, I think we should have a STEAM conversation and future, and also maybe uh, 201 for collaboration. I know later I'm going to think of things I wish I would have asked you, but, um, but I really appreciate it, so thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you for having this wonderful podcast.